Our scripture for today is in 2 Peter, and we're going to look at all of chapter 3. So open to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world then that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. If you're new here, if you're not, you're not welcome. No, okay. Past couple of weeks I've been gone. I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. My mother-in-law paid for multi-day passes for my children to go to Disneyland. So I'm very tired still. And then last week I was at a conference and had the honor of getting to speak there for a little bit, so that's why I was not here last week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and pray, God, that your heart comes through as we look at this last chapter of your servant Peter's letter. In Jesus' name, amen. The last verse we ended on a couple of weeks ago in chapter 2 is found in verse 22, chapter 2, 2 Peter, and it reads this. What the proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So Peter's letter is not so fluffy and sweet. He's pretty upfront with what he wants to tell these people. And so today we're going to wrap up this second letter. 
And uh, looking at the conclusion of the second letter, it's important to keep in mind that Peter wrote this letter to those who he loved dearly, very deeply. And you'll notice that he uses this term, beloved, and just that term alone, he uses it five times in this chapter, verses 1, 3, 14, 15, 17. And so it's clear he wanted to get across to his audience how esteemed, how valued they are in his eyes and that he loves them deeply. So jumping into verse 1, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved, and both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Now this word reminder is what kind of kicked off our Second Peter series. We started the study of Second Peter by looking at Second Peter chapter 1 verses 12 through 15 where it reads this, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And this is the focal point of Peter's letter, to remind to remind of what? This reminder is summarized for us at the end of chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Where does this reminder originate from? Where does this reminder stem from? You look at verse 2, 2 Peter. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. It originates, it stems from the scriptures. That's where it comes from, the Bible. The Bible is what we are to remember because there within are the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior Jesus. We must know our Bible. So I hope that Sunday is not the only day that you look at the scriptures. I hope that you study them daily. And out of all the spiritual disciplines there are, this one I think is on the top of the list of the ones that we need to practice the most most consistently and regularly. Because if you're inconsistent in studying the scriptures, you're spiritually malnourished. If you're irregular in studying the Bible, you're spiritually constipated. And you need a spiritual movement. Okay, so verse 2. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. The apostle Paul wrote this in Romans. Romans chapter 15 verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We must know, we must understand what the Bible teaches, otherwise we risk being carried away with the error of lawless people and lose our own stability. In verses 3 through 7 of Peter's second letter, he drives this really important point for all of us to understand. Look at verse 3. Knowing this First of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. Now, when are the last days exactly? When are they? And I'm going to tell you when they are. Now, you can call me a prophet, 
And some of you might even be skeptical right now and saying like, I thought no one knows the days. But I'm going to tell you exactly when the last days are. They are in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. <laughs> eh? Eh? It's good, huh? The prophet Joel wrote this in chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. This is a really, really scary prophecy to me. Because I have been having prophetic dreams. I'm old. Like, uh, this is what it's telling me. So I've been like, Lord, no, just give me visions, no dreams. But I'm having dreams. So anyway. Peter quoted the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. This is after the day of Pentecost to inform everyone that the last days, they're here. We are in them. In fact, we're in them now. We're in them now. You and I, right here, right now, we're in them. Jesus' first coming was in accordance to the predictions of the holy prophets, and so will his second coming. We are living in the last days, as did those in Peter's day, Yes, we are in them today. And yes, we're closer to them than when Peter was, thank God. But this time period between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, this is all the last days. These are the last days. Now, what will scoffers scoff at? Well, first of all, you can identify them by the way that they live their lives. They will follow their own sinful desires, according to verse 3. They will live these self-indulgent lives so you can be certain that they will be scoffing at anyone who lives godly lives. And verse 4 shares with us what they will scoff at. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They will scoff at the return of Jesus. Which helps explain why they live lives following their own sinful desires because if there isn't a belief that God is returning or that God even exists then there is no reason to be accountable to godly living you guys remember when your parents were out of town or your friends parents were out of town you would sneak some friends over and you'd throw a party or you'd do some other things that you weren't supposed to do right and yeah that's not you it's your neighbor's kids right your neighbor's kids were those kids and if you happen to be one of those adolescents, you planned your activities before your parents or friends got home, right? You planned for that. And this group of people would never dare throw a party without knowing when mom and dad returned. They wouldn't do that. They would do it if they knew a um, mom and dad are flying out of the country. Their itinerary says they're not going to be back for two weeks. So this weekend we can go crazy. We can go crazy and we can have everything cleaned up before they return and they won't have a clue what we did. We parents, we know though, don't we? we it's just saying. So it's different though if mom and dad go out for a Saturday afternoon and the kids are like, well, we should throw the party tonight. You're like, you're nuts. We don't know when mom and dad are coming back. We, we can't do that. You wouldn't do that because you don't know when mom and dad are coming back. You would only do it if you knew when they were coming back. You see, the way the world is living today is like mom and dad are just gone and they think that they know when mom and dad are coming back or they just think they're never coming back. 
so we can just go crazy. But the follower of Jesus, we are to live as though we have no idea when Jesus is coming back. He went out for an afternoon stroll. We don't know. We don't know when he's coming back. So we don't do things that dad wouldn't want us to do. Because we don't know when he's coming back. So it's been 2,000 years. So many have already deliberately overlooked history and they live their lives as they please. Now you look at verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God. So this is in reference to the creation story found in Genesis. Verse 6. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. This is in reference to the flood also found in Genesis. Now, why are these references in Paul's letter? Because the history of the past is indicative of the future to come. Look at verse 7. But by the same word. What same word was Peter referring to? It's the same word that created the world in verse 5. It's the same word that brought about the flood in verse 6. It's the same word. Continue on in verse 7. The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The scriptures don't sugarcoat anything about the day of judgment. And Peter wants us to know that the day of judgment of God is really real. So, is God's judgment real to you and me? Is it real to us? Does it influence the way we view evangelism? Does it influence the conversations that we have with people that are directed by the Holy Spirit? How many of us forget that there is indeed a day of judgment? And we're just kind of living our lives just forgetting that that thing is out there somewhere and we just kind of do whatever we're wanting to do. And so here Peter serves us a reminder and he tells us what we need to know in verses 1 through 7. And then from verses 8 and on, we're told about things not to overlook. And here's his reminder. Verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Here's one thing not to overlook. The way that time is defined for us is not the same way that God defines time. God is not operating according to our timetables. I remember ever since I was a teenager, my pastor down in Southern California, he would always say, we're living in the last days. We're living in the last days and Jesus' return is imminent. He would always say that. Now, if you listen to his sermons today, three decades later, he's saying the same thing. You can look him up. Pastor Raul Reese, you can look him up. He's saying the same things. We're living in the last days. Jesus' return is imminent. It's any time. And it's generations now. And, and, and the same thing has been said for generations. It's been 2,000 years, and the early church was saying the same thing. The same thing that we're saying today. So what's the deal? I mean, this is a long time. God's timing is not the same as yours and mine. Thank God for that, because we're so impatient. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow 
to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Don't we all need to work on patience? Anyone think that you've arrived on the patience thing? Because I have an exercise for you if you think you've arrived. Go to Trader Joe's and shop Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock. <laughs> we'll see how patient you are. We're so impatient. God is patient. He is not slow to fulfill his promises as some have interpreted slowness, but he is patient. And there is a reason to God's perceived slowness. There is a plan for his patience, which is why Jesus has not returned yet. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't wish for any to perish. He wants all to reach repentance. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires all people to be saved. It's sad, it's a pity, that not all people come to repentance. And they don't all come to the knowledge of truth. But that's not God. That's not God's heart. God doesn't want any to perish. He desires everyone to be saved. He loves everyone. He doesn't want any to perish but to come to repentance. Think about this. If Jesus just came back a few years ago, there might be some of you here today that wouldn't be with him today. I know of some of you. You wouldn't be with God if he came just a couple years ago. Let us be thankful that he hasn't returned yet. I, for one, I am extremely grateful that he hasn't returned yet because my mom still does not know Jesus as her Lord and Savior, and thank God. And I know that there are some of you who have loved ones who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and we're thankful that he's so patient. Do you see the reason for his slowness? Do you see the plan for his patience? It has been 2,000 years. And he's been very patient. But, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness, and godliness. So his return is going to be unexpected. It will be shocking and everything will be dissolved. Isn't that a sobering thought? Everything dissolved. So the question gets very real. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Knowing that everything gets dissolved. Now no matter where you fall on your eschatology, Eschatology is the study of the final events in world history, right? The end of the world. And within Christian theology, this includes the second coming of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, the last judgment, all those things. No matter what your eschatological beliefs, no matter what they are, you will find that the Bible always urges holy living and godly living, no matter where you fall in those things. Nowhere does it encourage unrighteous living, ungodly lives. 
Living holy and godly lives is an indication of a follower of Jesus that they are looking forward to his return. Living as though the return of Jesus is imminent, that it is real. Verse 12, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God. What is the day of God? This is when Jesus returns. The day of God. When this world as we know it is dissolved and this new day, this new age arrives, it's when God will judge everyone and everyone will face God and this is it. There are no do-overs. There's no more apologies at that time. What's done is done. And we will be held accountable. We will be held responsible for all that has happened or not happened in our lives. I find it fascinating that there are so many people interested in the series of events, the chronology of the end times. It's interesting to me, like books and movies and all that sort of stuff. I have to confess to you, I'm not one of those people. I don't have an interest in it. I can see it through the Bible. I can teach about it. I can preach about it. But this is not something I get excited about. If you want to find somebody excited to talk about with the chronology of the end times, you'll have to talk to Pastor Steve. He's actually not interested either. <laughs> what I'm just trying to tell you is talk to him about it, not me. And so, but as pastors here, Pastor Steve and I, we believe in the judgment of God. There's no doubt in our minds about that. But here's the thing. We're more interested in how those beliefs influence our evangelism for those who will be lost without Jesus. And how that belief encourages us to live godly and holy lives. That's what we're more interested in rather than the chronology of how things happen. Because here, big deal if we can lay out the whole chronology of the end times for you, which is actually a debatable thing amongst biblical scholars. Take a viewpoint and I can argue the opposite. Really, like, it doesn't matter like, which way we fall. Take whatever viewpoint you want, I can argue the opposite. It's how are we living our faith out? How are we living our life of faith out? Because it seems that if you can lay out the end times, what good is that if you don't practically apply it in your life? It's just telling a story. You're just telling a story. And while we are waiting for the second coming of Jesus, we can actually hasten the coming of the day of God. Look at verse 12 again. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How can we do this? I mean, how do you and I influence the hastening of the coming of the day of God? According to Peter, by living lives of holiness and godliness. And according to Paul, through evangelism, if you look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it reads this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So God's prophetic focus on Israel will start up again when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This is evangelism. And according to John, through prayer, as he prayed in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Evangelism, prayer, our godly lives. Those are ways to hasten the coming of the Lord. Continue on in verse 12. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So the dissolving of the world as we know it is renewed. And then the promise of the new heavens and the new earth 
Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So God restores everything to how it was meant to be. You look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. All this. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. God will renew all that sin has contaminated. All of creation has been waiting for this. All of it. Listen to what is written in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole of creation is waiting to be set free from this bondage of corruption to be a new, a renewed creation. And then the rest of the chapter is Peter concluding this letter with some very valuable parting words. We'll focus on just the imperatives of verses 14 through 18. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, here's the first imperative, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now before we dive into being diligent, we need to look at why therefore is there, why it leads off this verse. You look back to verses 11 and 12. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Since, and here's the action, right? So we know what is coming since, and because we know we ought to live holy and godly lives. We know of Jesus' return. We know of God's new creation. We are waiting for this to happen since. So be diligent. And this is the same word Peter uses in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort, it's the same word, be diligent in our translations in the English, but it's the same word, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And we see the same verb also used in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 15. Peter reminds every follower of Jesus that we have been given the dignity by God to put every effort into the deepening of our relationship with God. That we have been given the dignity by God to be diligent in how we live our lives, to be found without spot or blemish and at peace. This is what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see the partnership that we have with God? That it takes effort on our part, that it takes working out on our part? So how are we doing? How are you doing? Are you being diligent with how you live out your life as a follower of Jesus? Are you making every effort to follow God? 
This is applicable in every aspect of our life, right? This is one of those things that it applies in every aspect of our life. If you don't work something out, it gets weaker. That's in everything. Language skills, musical instruments, your muscles, whatever it is. If you don't work it out, it gets weaker. It's everything. And yes, it is God's grace that we even have what we have. But we have a part in being diligent to be found without spot or blemish and at peace with God. We have a part. Like Jesus, who is without spot or blemish and is at peace, we need to be like Jesus. Or are we just kind of cruising? Just on cruise control, you know, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I go to church, I give, I serve, I do this, I, whatever, and then that's it. Like, that's my 65 miles an hour, and I'm, that's it. I'm cruising. I'm good. And we're just kind of letting things come as they come and living the way that we live. You can't be at peace when there's sin in your life. And you can't be at peace when there's sin in your life and you're doing nothing about it. You have to make an effort. You have to be diligent. You have to work on those things. See, when you have wronged a loved one, you make every effort to make things right if you love that person, don't you? If I wronged my daughters by overreacting, by yelling at them or something, like I, I have to rebuild that. I have to come to them and rebuild that. It shows that you care about that relationship. It shows that you value that relationship. You put effort into it. You work at it. You're diligent at it. Right? So we read the books and we seek counsel and we get help and we do all these sorts of things. Are we making every effort to deepen our relationship with God? Or are we just kind of just cruising? Verse 15. Here's the second imperative. And count. Count. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Count means this. Think about it. Think about it. Now, think about what? Salvation. Salvation and the scriptures. To focus. Counting is to focus on God's patience, on his slowness regarding salvation. Now, the scoffers have no concern for these things, but the follower of Jesus is to esteem these things. The Lord's patience has meant salvation to so many people. Every minute that passes means that there's salvation for more people. Salvation in the midst of sin, which is a testament of God's patience and can be found in the Scriptures. Count. Focus. Think about. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, here's the third imperative, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now you think about who wrote this. It's Peter, right? Did Peter take care not to be carried away with the error of lawless people? No. He didn't. Which I think is why he's writing this. He learned. He learned his lesson. And he reminds us to take care, to be confident in God and not in ourselves, not in other people, right? He was confident in himself. Lord, if these guys leave you, I'm not leaving you. And he left. Right? To be mindful of who we associate with, who we keep company with. And we let 
in our lives and how we let them influence us. Take care over those things. Verse 18, here's the fourth one, but grow, grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Please don't misinterpret the scripture because Peter doesn't tell us to grow in grace or to grow grace. It's two different things, right? To grow grace and to grow in grace. He tells us to grow in grace and to grow in knowledge, not to grow grace and grow knowledge. The grace of God, the grace of Jesus, and the knowledge of Jesus is already here. You can't grow it anymore. That's it. We can't grow it. It is endless. It is eternal. It is unlimited. We are to grow in what we are already in. You get it? So we're in His grace. We grow in the knowledge of Jesus. So yes, we can grow in our knowledge about Jesus, but this is not about growing in information about Jesus. This is knowing Jesus personally. Growing in that personal knowledge of Him so that it's not just simply an accumulation of information that we're gathering, but that what we gain is a transformed life, a changed heart because of our knowledge of Jesus and that we're growing in His grace. Let me close with an email that I got nine days ago. And if this is you, I'm sorry that I didn't get permission to share your email. I'll keep you anonymous. It reads this. Hello. I first stepped into Regen about a year ago and recommitted my life and heart to God. I've slowly been integrating myself into the community, emphasis on slowly, and after much prayer have decided that it's time I also commit myself to regeneration. As a person who grew up in the church and then stepped away from it, I take this request very seriously. I look forward to speaking to someone about this. I can be reached via this email or 510 I'm not going to lie. <laughs> in talking to this person and reading this short email, I think this encapsulates the latter part of chapter 2, verse 3, pretty well. The imperatives, right? Be diligent. Count. Think about. Take care. Who you associate with, what you let influence you, and grow. The last part of verse 18. To him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. Amen. That's a fitting ending. I have nothing to say from that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant Peter serving a reminder to us as to how to live our lives in expectation of your return. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken anyone's spirits here that has fallen asleep, that has lost you as their first love, that has been cruising. That, Lord, that you would help us to awaken, to be diligent, to count, to take care, and to grow. In Jesus' name, amen.